size matters not. Look at me. Judge me by my size, do you? Hmm? Hmm. And where you should not. For my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings, Zogi, not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. Yes, even between the land and the ship. Welcome, Grosties, to the Frugal Force. This is episode nine, and tonight we're going to kick off a little, I guess you could call it Growing 101. We're going to go from the very, very beginning, like setting up your grow, uh, sourcing your genetics, all that good stuff, all the way up to your, your cure, and then smoking it. So, on that note, how's everybody doing tonight? Doing awesome. Doing good, smoking on this Mac Flurry. Liking it so far. I love that name. It's it's so catchy. <laughs> Mac Flurry. Yeah, and then I can imagine there's a ton of them. Like Mac and then cross it with uh, Big Bud. Call it Big Mac. <laughs> yeah, he definitely has a lot of parodies off that. The Mac and Cheese and all that shit. Mac and Cheese. That sounds like a good one, too. Yeah, I saw, saw that the other day. I'm finally going to get a Mac going here. I have a Mac cross. I'm not a Mac cut. I can't think of the damn name now. I'll, I'll get it by the end of the show. But finally going to do it. Mantha sent me a Mac cross. And I'm pretty sure it's with the pineapple sorbet, I'm guessing. That sounds fucking awesome. If you want a Mac one, let me know, man. I'll get you one. Yeah, I, I'm I really... That, but I've got one. I'm really thinking about doing it because I want to see... Uh, if it's slow in DWC, I feel like I can I can push that strain and make up for the time. It's interesting you say that. I found so far in my own grow that it seems like they really enjoy high humidity. It's almost like the plants like to eat through its leaves over its over its uh, fucking roots. Ah. It's, uh, it likes I. It seems to do much better when I give it far less water than plants of the same size in the same pot. I just give it like half as much. Like I've been giving it, for example, I've got it in a two gallon pot right now. And I've got other plants in two gallon pots with it. They're receiving about 2000 milliliters of water when I, well, between 1500 to 2000 milliliters of water when I water them. And the max I'm given a thousand at the most, sometimes 800. It, it just doesn't make sense to me that that's slow. Like, that strain just is slow. Like, I've had plenty of strains where it just, it really depends on the growth style and the environment it's in. Uh, it'll change its uh, performance dramatically. Yeah, I think it's because it's, it's kind of like a mutant runt thing. Like, I know that when they breed with the Mac 1 specifically, the cut, not, not the Mac. There's a difference between Mac and Mac 1. Mac 1's the cut. 
Uh, when you breed with Mac one cap says that everything turns out retarded mutant and you can't get anything out of it. So to me that there's something in that parent plant that's way different than other plants. I don't know, but you could be right. It could be some weird. And that's the thing though. I grow perpetual. So it's going to have to learn to grow in the same or a similar environment as everything else. Cause I'm not changing the environment just for fucking one plant. Well, speaking on environment, uh, that's what we can jump in to first is that's I mean you have to pick where you're gonna grow if you're gonna use a tent or you're gonna build out a room and then what you're gonna have to deal with in that specific environment because every grow I've set up there's different requirements like I've not always just been able to do open air sometimes you do have to seal up all that good stuff so when we go around and uh Talk about what everybody thinks on that. Like myself, anyways, I'm always gonna try to pick the coolest room in the house. And then I'm gonna try and build around there either a room or tents if I can't do a room. I'm in the basement, so it's got some kind of geothermal effect. It definitely keeps it more constant temp and humidity here down here. I guess it does rise quicker in the basement. But at the same time, it's also nice sometimes, depending on, like, if you're, say, you're in a trailer, if you're setting it up uh, in the same, like, environment as that you're living in, because most of the time, like, if you're running, say, like, the HPS, your ambient temperature in your house is normally pretty good with that, like, for, uh, for whatever, like, right around, eight, you'll get around 80 in your, uh, your room unless, for some reason, you run your house extremely hot. I keep my thermostat at like 68. So if you run uh, if you run lights or whatever, the room will be about 70 something, 78, 80. You also get lots of free CO2 that way. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a basement grower too, and I'm a big fan of it. There's a lot of benefits, like you said, CO2, especially if you have like gas water heaters, things like that, you might get some CO2 emissions there. But I, and, you know, think about it, CO2 is heavier than air, so just the CO2 that you breathe is eventually going to make its way to your basement. It's going to go down. And um, the temperature thing's huge because, you know, just like geothermal, it kind of brings everything to a constant temperature so that your temperature controls don't have to work as hard. You know what I mean? But speaking of just trying to pick out a good room or good space for you, it's really cheap just to go to a store, order online. You can get those little, um, 10 bucks usually you can get like an accurate um, thermometer and hygrometer so it's going to tell you temperature and humidity but the important thing is it'll tell you the highs and lows so whatever the highest it got and the lowest it got in the last 24 hours that's important information to have you can stick one of those just in those potential spots and find out okay this one gets way too cold this one gets way too hot you know and kind of inform your decision before you get a lot of building even done and you could save yourself some time that way and that's and then I would do the same thing after you build out your room. Once you build out your room, whatever, whether it be a tent or once you get everything in there, get your lights going, don't have any plants in there, and put that thermometer, hygrometer in there again and see what your levels are like. And then you can kind of dial that in before you even get a plant in there and you're not going to lose a plant due to environment, hopefully. Just be, because as you add things to a room, and, and usually the plant is the last thing you put in your room, but every little thing that you add to the room is going to affect the environment but it's also going to um, be in your way when you're trying to fix things. So I always kind of 
try to tell people plants last, make sure it's everything's good before you get the plant in there. Because that's the most important thing is we got to, you know, hold on to our genetics. The other, the other thing uh, I think is really important when you're trying to pick a spot is to source where you're going to pull electric and where your water source is going to be. So for an example, like if your power box is on one side of the house and, and you got to pull wires to run, you know, a heavy high powered light, you're going to waste energy pulling the further distance you pull that wire from that box. So if any way you can get it closer to the electrical box, it will save you an energy cost too to try to run that room. And uh, I've had buddies that would didn't necessarily have a good water source, so they were constantly running to the store actually and buying the purified water that you can get at the store and uh, and using that to water their plants. But he really didn't have a good way to get. Uh, water source out there and that was one issue that he was like man if I really had realized plan of the room I would have figured on something for the water so I mean those are two things to really think about hard before you're going to pick a spot as well so. yeah I think electric's a big one I I don't want to recommend this online but I taught myself how to how to uh, run electrical lines but um I mean, it's fairly safe to wire everything up before you hook it to the box. I mean, there's no electricity hooked up to it, so you can fuck around a little bit. Anyhow, I wired all my, I wired all my electric. I had, I made sure I had space in my box to be able to add breakers, and I add 20 amp breakers instead of 15 amp breakers. It's another good tip. It gives you a little bit more juice through those breakers, and you're not going to overload them as easily. And then I had dedicated breakers. Like I have uh, two breakers that are dedicated just to lighting. So I know I'm not going to be blowing breakers or anything because I know I ran the lines myself. That is the only thing it's connected to. I know I'm not going to be over the more watts than I know the lights draw. And um, rule of thumbs about 80% load is what you want on it. So if you have a 20 amp breaker, you know, you don't want to be pushing much more than about 1800 watts through that bitch. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's, you can get that. That adds up pretty quick when it comes to lighting, when it comes to HVAC, you know, uh, heating or cooling and then you know those are the ones that are going to take the most of the electrical so if you could split that up on separate breakers so they're not pulling that big load all at the same time on startup from the same breaker it can help you out quite a bit a cheap easy way to check some of that too is uh just your temp like a temperature uh pyrometer like on your circuit breaker um i don't know we had one that was malfunctioning and luckily we noticed the smell from it, it kind of that burnt plastic smell, but it was like, we started looking and you know, you put your hand by it and you could feel like one breaker was pretty dang hot. And uh, so we ended up grabbing the temp gun and started checking and sure shit, one was like 200 and some degrees, but it wasn't an overdraw issue um, per se, it was uh, corroded. So it had like resistance and building heat right inside there. So swapping it out with time but that would be another check would be to make sure they're all running a similar temp. yeah and that's just another that's another story that illustrates that how much of a good idea it is to if you're going to set up a grow room if you can run new lines <laughs> you know what i mean if, if that's an option and it's not terribly too cost prohibitive run fucking new lines and then you don't even have to worry about that shit for a little while at least you know it's new 
there should be no corrosion in the lines and you know where the lines are. Another thing that I did after the fact, I haven't done it. I haven't done it in my grow room yet, but when I had to put up a expansion, <laughs> I just put up a tent, but I only uh, wired up two outlets for that tent um, on two separate breakers though. And I numbered them on the actual face of the, you know, the little face plate that you put on the plug itself. I wrote the number of the breaker that it went to. I wish I did that with everything in my grow room. So I could, you know, when I'm planning on, oh, I want to put a new light in here. What can I plug it into? What, you know, to make that, to try to figure out how much amps are, or how much watts I'm pulling. It sure as hell would be nice to just have it labeled on each, each uh, outlet, you know. Definitely smart. Then you got to calculate uh, where you're living because seasons matter, especially here in Michigan. You need to make sure that you can handle that AC load. And uh, I'd say it's normally for me, it's like two months. Like June, July is really, really, uh, really, really hard on. Like the AC is basically always running during those months, especially if you're running uh, HPS and whatnot or a bunch of tents. And nothing worse than setting up your grow and basically being maxed on your amps and then figuring out for two months out of the year you can't run two of your tents because you got to set up extra ac because you just you're gonna you i've been there I've, I've set stuff up and then here comes uh summertime and i'm blowing amps because i'm running too many fans ac is too hot it sucks so that being said, Abolish, how can we figure out how much AC we're going to need based on lighting we're running? What was that? We got to figure out how much air conditioning we're going to need before yeah. that space. It's very true. I mean, you don't want to go the route I did and just buy the biggest one that you can possibly do and, you know, hey, I'll have it covered. Because that thing actually uses more amps than I actually need for that room, even when it's running at a lower uh, setting. So would you have been better off to have two smaller units? I think so. I, they wouldn't run as much, I believe. And or running a 220 versus 110 volt, you can it's uh, in half that way. I think it's we got a 1600 BTU for just like a 10 by 10 room. It's extremely overrated for that small area. Yeah, what <laughs> so what I was getting at though is that temperature for AC. So like um, wattage of light power puts out a certain amount of BTU to that room. So if you have a 600 watt light versus a thousand watt light, there's a different amount of heat that it's going to put out. So there's a calculation and it's like three and a half is the one rough number I have in my head. I know it's not exactly that, but so I just take how many watts. So like if you, for a thousand watt light, for example, times that by three and a half, it's 30, no, three, uh, 3,500, I'm all stoned, <laughs> but, but math, anyway. It comes out to giving you the amount of BTU. So any of those lights that you pick, you times it by three and a half, and you can have a rough calculation to how many BTUs you're trying to remove. Because when you look at air conditioning, it's going to say it all in BTUs. It's not going to translate for you from amperage or wattage to what that's going to be. 
Yeah, you definitely can save yourself a lot of heartache if you'll just sit down and do the damn math on stuff because all the equations are out there for this stuff. I mean, it's just like I was just telling you, I pay, I'm paying more monthly because I didn't sit down and do that math and I just went for the easy route of getting the biggest thing I could hook up. Yeah, but at the same time, I mean, that's great and all, and I agree. I'm not disagreeing, but I bought a big old fucking portable AC, threw it in my fucking grow room and just set it on a setting and kept fucking with it till I got it to where I wanted it to be. I don't, I didn't do a bunch of calculations. I didn't do any, any of that bullshit. I set it at a temperature. I said, hold this temperature. And then I, I just changed that temperature. Like if I went into that, or say I set it, say I set the AC at, uh, we'll say we set, I set it at 80 degrees. And I found out by my, meters that my room's getting too hot well fuck i'll just turn it down to 78 you know what i mean or vice versa if i go in there and i see that the low for the night before since i was in there the night before and i see that the low is too low for me that then that's acceptable for me then i know that I, I can put that temperature up a little bit or i can adjust my i also have set as a uh, fail safe is i have a dump in my room it's a sealed room but i have it set to a eight inch exhaust fan that can dump it actually will dump into my bedroom because i supplement co2 and i don't want to lose my co2 so i'll just dump the warmer air into my co2 i mean into my, in the co2 into my veg and i don't care if it gets warm in veg and so the uh the flower room stays pretty much on point by those two controls either i'll have a uh, you know the ac in there to cool it off and then to um I don't think I've had, actually this year was the first year I haven't had to have a heater. I didn't use a heater at all this year. And usually in some of the cold, if it gets really cold, I have to throw a heater in, but it, it never dropped below. I think the lowest temperature for the entire last year was maybe 75, 76. <laughs> because there is a one, uh, you know, the HVAC for the entire house. There's actually one vent right in the ceiling of my flower room that I could just leave open. And then when the heat from the house kicks on, it dumps heat into my flower room in the wintertime. So I am kind of cheating, I guess, a little bit there. That's smart though. I mean, it, it really is. That way it does spread. It makes it difficult to control smell though, because you have your HVAC connected to it. But uh, my, actually I have a, uh, I do run a carbon filter just sitting in my room with a fan blowing back into the same room, uh, circulating. And uh, I actually like that. If I didn't even carbon filter, I'd still have that fan pointed the same direction from the floor up. I just like mixing the air that way, pulling that, all that shit from the bottom and blowing it back up to the top because I'm trying to mix CO2 in there. So I like that anyway, but I, I have it just my fan mounted to a, to a uh, carbon filter that just sits on its end in the corner of my grow room and it just runs 24 seven mixed in the room. So, you know, my house actually, you don't, well, you would know, but a stranger wouldn't know that I grew weed in my house unless they came into my basement. <laughs> it's nice, man. You really can supplement some heat in your house with your grow, like, and save some serious money on your bills. I mean, you're, if you're spending a good amount on cannabis, uh, you might as well anyways. Grow it yourself and you can save some money on your electric. Yeah, another tip that I, that I did that saved me huge, and I can't remember who taught this to me or who I heard this from, 
but run your lights at night. So when, um, when it's the coldest part of the day, it doesn't matter if it's summer or wintertime, it's always nighttime is usually the coldest part of the day. Put your lights on then. That ambient temperature outside your house is going to help control your higher temperatures when your lights are on. And then also when it's the hottest part of the day, usually, you know, between noon and three or noon and five, um, make sure that's the time when your lights are off because all that ambient heat from the outside is going to add heat to your room. Eventually it's going to radiate into your room from the walls. And if your lights are off, you're going to kind of mitigate that heat that you gain. And it's going to kind of level it out so that your highs and lows get closer together. I really believe that the closer you can get those to almost constant, the better off you are. Although there has yeah. been evidence that shows that if you have warmer temperatures during the lights out cycle, it'll keep your plants more stout and, and squatty and they won't stretch as much. I haven't tried that myself to manipulate that, but uh, I don't know. It might be worth trying. I don't know if it'd be worth the extra cost though to run a heater during lights out. Well, I actually, I, I rotate my tents to kind of keep that uh, mentality where I have a constant temperature in the room. And uh, I noticed there is better growth when uh, there is a constant temperature in there because recently I've been able to keep that grow a lot hotter, which is really nice. I've been able to run that higher VPD and I'm seeing the results from it. So I think there's definitely something to keeping the constant temperature in. I don't, I haven't seen anything about it being squat. If anything, my plants are stretching too much right now. Like they're growing faster than. But do you believe that your, do you believe your night? temperatures your lights out temperatures are higher than your lights on temperatures no i think it's the same because i'm running uh they're all sharing air they're all passing air through each other at all times yeah i think for them to stay squatty it had to be the lights out temperatures have to be hotter than your high okay. during lights on which i've never been able i mean i would have to add a heater and i don't i hate adding more electrical <laughs> Not good for them to drop around 45 or below 50 is usually kind of a no-no. And uh, and I have heard people suggest to stay within a 5 to 10 degree temperature range, night to day differential. And similar with humidity is trying to control that from ever hitting a dew point, but actually staying in that 5% difference. And uh, so that being said, though, about humidity, it's if you're running with the lights on, the air can typically hold a little bit more humidity. And as that lights kick off instantly and that air temperature drops, you can reach a dew point really fast. And that's one of the biggest things like to watch for with your temp and humidity too, is being able to control that day to night switch. And you could do things, you, there's weird things I've thought of doing. I haven't done it. But uh, you could uh, hook up, like I said, with the uh, dump fan, the exhaust fan. You could put that on a timer. If you know your lights are going out, going off at, say, what doesn't matter what time. We'll say 5 o'clock. The lights go off at 5 o'clock. But that, you know, set that fan to turn on on a, on a regular light timer, you know. Just plug it into that. Have it come on a half hour before lights go out. So it starts sucking air out of that room. It starts, you know, hopefully cycling in, you know, all that humidity out before the lights even go out. Or uh, like what I've done with the light, one of the lights that I just won, you're able to program it. So I program that light to gradually shut off instead of just boom, shut off. That way it gives the room more time to acclimate that temperature gradual. What it does is it just dims itself. 
So it'll start from say 100% and for my light, all I got to do is put in the time I want it to start the gradual die down. So I could do it 30 minutes, an hour. I could do it by the minute. It doesn't matter. But right now I have it set for a half hour. And so what it does is that at a half hour before lights out, it starts ramping down the intensity from 100%. And it approaches zero over that, you know, 30 minute time. I think that's a cool feature. Not, not only does it mimic nature, but I mean, unless you got the far reds in there, you're not really utilizing your full light for the first two hours, right? Anyways. So you're probably saving yeah, money. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't have it to do that during the startup, but I think I should. At first, I thought there was no benefit, but I think you still get the benefit of a gradual mm -hmm. uh, ramp up to that humidity as opposed, you know, I don't think there's a, I don't know. I still think it's a, like you said, it's a, at least an energy savings. And I mean, we preach that they're living creatures. I think about it. Do you want to wake up with a full poor sun or just a gradual thing? I think that they like that a little bit more. It's just what my gut microbes telling me. Typically though, at nature, like in the morning times when you're going to see it do on the, on the leaves and all that too. So I would imagine that's a higher humidity time form as they're waking up. It's much higher microbial action right at dew point too because of all that water and they need that water. So like if you're doing KNF practices, they always say take your collections right right before the sun comes up or right you know right at sunrise because if you get it at dew point like that when this the moisture and everything's still on it, that's the most microbial active time of the day to, to collect that. So that's cool. Or like a light fog or something. Yeah, yeah. But think about it, even, I mean, when it's still pretty chilly, if you get a little, like a light rain or whatever in the, in the morning, you get mushrooms like that day, like boom, yeah. they just love it. They just... I don't know. I'm, I'm beginning, I've been pushing, I know I'm getting off topic and we're running out of time, but I've been pushing the far reaches of high humidity in flower and getting well, you saw that last, I don't know if you guys seen that last post I put up of those, uh, where I was holding up the uh, root beer can to my colas, but those are some fucking big ass colas. And I've never, I've grown outdoor colas like that, but not indoor. So I don't know. I think the plants really like humidity, but uh, we'll see after this harvest what, what's inside those colas to see if it's uh, worth playing around like that or not. They do love it, but man, you're playing with fire. Well, maybe this is a topic for the next session, but. I've heard this discussed a few times where guys really push like real low humidities as far as like 35 or even below 45, in my opinion, is low. But, you know, they're, they're kind of saying, hey, you want to keep it as low as possible. The plants will just drink a little bit more. But that's not exactly how I understand that, how that yeah. for them. Um, drink more. Because that's the other thing I've heard is if you have a high humidity, then the plants aren't drinking as much, but that's really not exactly as true either to a certain extent. I mean, to an extreme possibly, but not not really just trying to hit like what's referred to as the vapor pressure deficit or So I think- In that debate anyway. Yeah, I think, I think that would be true if you didn't have controls. But since we have dehumidifiers pulling the water out of the air, when, when, when the room is fully saturated, the plants can keep transpiring. But, but if you get out of that vapor press, pressure deficit zone to where, you know, there's too much water in the air 
and it can't transpire, then that's 100% true. They won't be drinking as much. But because we have, you know, a dehumidifier sitting in the corner or something, pulling that uh, air, that water out of the air and kicking out dry air that can suck up a lot more water, I think having the high humidity is beneficial. But the, the understanding of the pressure there is actually from the amount of humidity in the air. So if you're running at like 70 or 35, um, my understanding of that, how that kind of works is at a certain point, there's too much water in the air and there's too much pressure. So the plant can't, it has to like, almost like it's struggling to exhale kind of thing. Yeah, it will close its stomata down, but you'll, and you'll get dew. The water will actually fall out of the air. I mean, that's what dew is. Right. And then if you get to a certain zone where it's too dry, which in, you know, in my understanding is around 50, but you start getting below that is where the plant is really like starting to close stomata because the pressure is kind of in a negative then. It's almost like it's trying to suck the, the, the exhale out of the plant. So it's trying to close down its stomata. So it's yes. not, you know, pulled out of it so quickly, you know what I mean? Right, it's trying to conserve water at that point so it doesn't dry out and wilt. So yeah, it'll close its stomata and be like, fuck this, we're holding on to what we got. Yeah, so the sweet, I mean, there's like a sweet zone and it's more in that, you know, above around 45 plus, I know that. And then, you know. I've been rocking 60%. I've been rocking 60% lows for the last two cycles. Yeah. The lowest it gets is 60. I've noticed it in the past that like when you walk in your flower room and you feel it, you're just like, man, this feels like danger zone. And but the colas are just hulking. The plants are hulking nonstop all the way to the end. And yeah, I think there's something to that because it's it's like the plant when I feel like when there's a lot of humidity in there, it's just because the plant's like really sucking shit up, letting stuff out, it's transpiring. Like it's really doing a lot of work. But in the opposite, when I ran low humidity, the buds and the plants might not have been as big, but I found them to be extremely frosty if they would get that real hard nut crust. So I think that we're looking at just part of the picture. I think a lot of this is, is going to come out in the future with more research, but I think a lot of it is really tied still back to, and we I know we're going to sound like broken records here, but tied back to microbes and I, and I just believe that a higher moisture environment is way more beneficial for the microbes and then you know down the line for the plant itself because the plant unlike us you know the plant is rooted in the ground so it's had to and, and it's been here a lot longer than us so it's had to find ways around that limitation and microbes is really looking like that's the way that it's gotten around not being able to move so I, and and everybody knows that microbes need water. You know, like that's why synthetics kill them because the, the high salt will suck that water out of the microbe and fucking kill it. And on that note, we will be right back with uh, some more beginners stuff, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> It's a couple deep things there that seem like they might be a little more advanced than what you would need 
save for like a, a starting show, but as we were kind of discussing right before we uh, went live again, and it, if you write all this stuff down, you plan it out, it could help you on your first grow to not fail, but there's also, like Spark was saying, there's something to be said about just going for it, because that, that's how I learned myself, is just getting on YouTube and going for it, and I learned a lot of cool things, a lot of tricks, a lot of stuff that people don't tell you to do, <laughs> that do work for me, that I learned on my own, that you probably won't ever do, because it's just not common, it's not common practice, like, there's just a lot of stuff you can learn by fucking up. One of the best pieces of advice, I just recently heard it and I wish I remember where, but they said that the biggest key to gardening is a discipline to consistency. And I kind of, I was like thinking about it and I'm like, damn man, every time I fuck something up, that's exactly where it's been is when I was inconsistent or something was inconsistent. Either a fan failed or whatever, but it would, Austin was inconsistent and that's where I had the problem. I agree. I think that even in, in, in a lot of <clears throat> a lot of life, uh, it's true for dogs for sure. I've seen it in my life, it's true for children, it's true for humans. We all thrive on consistency, everything being the same. You throw a monkey wrench in that consistency, it fucks everybody up, you know what I mean? So same thing with plants. Give them the same everything all the time, be consistent with it, and they tend to do better that way. I, maybe that's what's tied into when, when you're saying was it abolished? Yeah, abolished. You're saying how the, the temperatures are always the same. Maybe that consistency is kind of like just one more consistency to make, you know, your microbes adapt to that specific temperature. They're not, you know, changing temperatures and environments. And, you know, we can go back to the microbes again. I'm sorry, but that's where my mind always is. So, yeah. yeah it's not bad, but they're girls, man. You got to give them less shit to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're also girls. So they're manufacturing shit to worry about, too. Yeah, true. Oh, man. We're triggering Miss C in the background now. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Miss C. Hey, I, I, I stand by my comments. <laughs> it's true. Man. They want to be pampered. If you take care of them just like a good female, they're, they're happy. You, you throw them into a stressful environment, you know, you're changing out lights all the time, you're, you're feeding them different stuff, you're not feeding them the good stuff, just want to hurry up and get some fast food so you can get home and bang. No, that's, that's not how you treat the good girls. They want that attention. Like a pregnant woman, then they're happy. Give them that attention. So I, another thing I want us to jump into was uh, timing. Like we talked about how it's cheaper to run it at night. Another thing with uh, timing night and day is, say, you need to run multiple tents and you don't have that much, that many amps. You can run some during the day, some at night, and you can achieve a lot more, you know, a lot more product at the end. It's another thing to calculate what you're doing in your rooms. And then, uh, was it Smiley? You brought up before the show about uh, planning out your seed, your seed timing, like. You don't want to just go all out. You you have a plant count. You should plan that accordingly with your your growth. You want to go into a little bit on that? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's one thing that I definitely screwed up on when I started, and it's one thing I've seen a lot of other people do. But when you plan out a space, you know, you typically are planning a veg and a flower space, and if you're starting from seed or clone, you know. At, 
you really don't have plants necessarily ready for flowers. So it's easy to just be like wanting to fill all the light space with, with plants. And, and the one thing to consider is like, you know, your plant spacing. So how many are you gonna run in flower at a time? And, and that number is, the, that's the bottleneck is your flower room. So like, I always looked at it backwards. I thought the veg space was gonna be my bottleneck and making sure that they were ready for flower, but it doesn't actually work out that way. So the way I've kind of come to setting the timing is based off what can be put through that flower room, because ultimately it's an assembly line, you know, from veg to flower to finish, and, and it has to make it through all those stages. And that one is always gonna be eight to nine weeks for that number of plants. And so, you know, so when you do the math on say it's, two or four that you're going to put into flower at a time you're going to have to have two to four that are going to be ready to go in next and then you're going to have to have two to four that are going to be ready to be transplanted and then maybe your two to four that you're going to have in the cloning or in the seedling stage you know in the baby stage but it kind of gives you an idea of like three to four rounds behind whatever number you're going to put into flower is what you kind of picture in your mind so you know if you're popping seeds and you want to do a seed run and some of that you know that you know for example the the grow off seeds are going to kind of bump some other ones that I had cracked already because it threw off that timing so like if I wait to run the grow off seeds like I normally would in my room I wouldn't finish in time for the weigh-ins so I have to do them at a certain point to get them in there and it just automatically is going to throw off my number for flower. So I have to bump some other seeds that are older that I'm not sure about quite yet. I sexed them, so I'm going to get rid of the males and all that, but you know, I'll have to veg them for longer before I flip them to put those other ones in. So. That, I mean, that could be expensive. Like most, most people that are going to be taking information from this are just starting out from seed because you don't always have access to it seems like if you don't know somebody you really can't get clones right now but uh you're starting from seed and you're not timing it right you might be wasting you know a hundred dollars in seeds because you had to let a couple of a couple of them just died off because they were sitting too long in a cup waiting for a room to, to open up i mean you'll be able to bypass that a little bit later on once you actually have mothers and big enough plants to where you can take consistent clones weekly you can just not worry about it and just keep the best of the best but yeah it, it's something to think about like, people spend a lot of money on seeds and you don't want to just be popping them and not using them yeah so i run perpetual so it really can be a scheduling craziness when you, when you run that way what i mean by perpetual is is that i have three lights in my flower room and i have two lights in my bedroom those two lights in my bedroom have to keep that flower room filled. The whole strategy of this is, is that when you're not vegging and flowering in the same room, in my situation where that's not the case, and you have separate rooms, which a lot of people tend to gravitate towards that, um, the, the absolute best um, strategy is if you always have plants flowering under your lights in the flower room, and there's not hardly any time I mean, in a perfect world, there's zero time where there is not a plant under your flowering lights because you're paying for that electricity. 
and so to to make that work with my three lights they're all on their own different schedules so i'm taking down consistently at least once a month but usually way more than that so what i do and what i've done too because i was never really great at because we're dealing with living things and they don't always cooperate well i was i used to always try to like okay I, i'm going to put four plants under that light in the flower room so i'm going to veg four plants out for it well inevitably they would grow you know i have different strains they're not all the same they all grow different ways and inevitably i'm, I'm struggling because i don't have even canopies and things like that so what i've done to fix all of that is i pull far more clones than I need. And I just, when they're ready, because they all move at their own pace, they all root at their own pace. When they're ready, they get up potted. And I just uh, took a four by eight tent that, I, that used to be my original bedroom that I took down and built an actual bedroom. Well, I put that four by eight tent back up and it's kind of like my overflow. I call it my mother tent. And so all these extra plants just kind of sit in there. And then I pick from that veg tent or I pick from that overflow tent to what to set up to go into flower. So I've got all these multiple plants to pick from. I'm, I'm not gonna flower all those plants out. I might end up killing some of those plants. I might end up just having them sit there and be mothers so I can cut clones off of them. They might just be, a clone might just be cut off of it and then that plant killed. So it just kind of grew up, got cloned again, and I'm just holding gen genetics by that. So I might grow a mother plant that might be only this tall, cut a clone off of it and then get, get rid of that plant because I'm not gonna flower it this time. You know what I mean? And I've got my pick of the best of the best rather than having to put maybe a troublesome plant in or something. I can pick from this group of ones, of the best looking ones anyway, and set myself up for a more successful flower by doing something like that. So my big tip there would be like, yeah, if you've got seeds, I would pop extra. Why not? Because you could always grow that up to be a mother and clone that and put it in the next round. You're not going to lose that genetic as long as you can clone it. Right. I've had to do that a few times where they get overgrown, and so I'll just take three, four cuttings off from it, root them out, you know, and, and I know I got a copy of that genetic, and I'll cut that big plant down because, like you say, it was one of the ones I couldn't put into flower, you know. And really, it's going to save you an ass ton of money, too, when you think about it, because to, to keep four clones alive, as opposed to keeping keeping one, you know, pot potted plant that's even a three gallon alive that you got to water every fucking day because it's getting so big, you know, you're gonna save money in nutrients just by having those four little clones and you, it, which will be four plants instead of one plant. So, yeah, there's ways. You know, don't think that you have to flower out every plant you grow. I guess is the the main message I'm trying to get out here. So if you if you embrace that, pull all the goddamn clones you can, and then just it's not hard you give them the spartan kick man it's heartless man you're heartless oh no, man i throw them in a i throw them in a bucket and they go in the worm bin and they get fed back to the plants <laughs> that's heartless <laughs> it just go it goes back to how important the clone game is like you if you can't get cloning down uh, you probably should just stop just have somebody else grow for you because just like as far as saying right there if you're that could save you from uh, losing money on seeds. You know, you just keep, if you're good at your clone game, you can always keep a genetic going. Like you can take some of the most straggliest looking things and clone it once you get good enough. Yeah, and I think that in enough generations too, even if you get a scraggly looking plant, 
I think grown well in, in a good soil. Maybe that plant had um, a disease or a virus or something in it. If you get it in a good living soil and the great microbes somehow in there and um, just grow it really well a few times, you can kind of like grow it out of a funk, I think, sometimes. If you get a plant that's in a funk, you know, some people think, oh, it's got a virus, I'm just going to kill it. Man, I, I, I take it as a challenge and I'll, I'll put it in a little pot off to the corner. I won't give it a, you know, a huge amount of real estate in the, in the room, but I'll try to keep it alive. Just try to nurse it back to health, get a good clone off of a really good looking part of the plant. And, you know, I don't give up on plants if it's a genetic I really like. So I have one that's called Skywalker. Uh, I believe it's Skywalker Kush. It might be OG. I don't remember, but I just have always called it Skywalker, but I've, I got it from a buddy who was shutting his room down. And it's like, it was like that one strain where he was like, dude, if, if I was to tell anybody they had to grow one, this is the one I would give somebody, you know? And so I've been kind of holding it because now he, he's planned on moving and setting up a room, but it, it's, uh, I flowered it a few times and it's, she's, she's never really, she's got that funk to her. So she never really yields well. And it's all these tight, frosty little popcorn nugs, but they taste so piney. Like it's, I'm just hoping that she hope pops out of that funk, you know what I mean? And like can throw a good yield. Like I'm pretty sure it did. Cause he was like, no, this thing yielded and had that fucking pine. Did he, how, did, how did he grow? Did he grow synthetically? Uh, I believe it was nectar. So. Oh no. So no, so it's, well, I, I guess it's, no, it's not synthetic. I don't know if it's completely organic, but I consider it natural at least. It's like natural. Organic kind of thing. I don't know. It's natural and whatever, but. I was just thinking maybe how long have you had it? I was thinking it might just be trying to adjust to the new, so, you know, the new way of being grown. Maybe it's going to be a little bit to, to kick into its own. Yeah, it's been like a year and a half now. So, but I will say though, like you were talking perpetual. So I have noticed this where um, I've seen cuttings go into a really great environment. And like, as they perpetually have been cloned in that environment, they, you notice like a dramatic vigor change, you know, and guys always talk about like hybrid vigor and I've seen hybrid vigor in, in seedlings and stuff, but this is like a clone that's been perpetually getting cloned in a better environment that suddenly is like, almost like leveled up in its vigor and health from what it was in the original. And, and it's kind of seen stuff like that is like kind of blowing my mind to where, you know, the original cutting, nobody would have thought there was any issue with that cutting. You know what I'm saying? Like, and now that it's like really come out of whatever funk that was there, it's almost like a totally different plant. And it's kind of crazy to me that, you know, just having a quality environment. And I think it was probably a slow progression over, you know, because each round of cuttings is a generation. So if they've cloned that perpetually 16 times, and I think it was over a dozen, and then all of a sudden it was like, whoa, what the fuck is that? You know, and it was like this totally different plant. Yeah, and I, I attest that to, here we go, microbes again. And I maybe, I don't know, because I've never... I'm biased because I never went the other way. I didn't go from organics to synthetics. I, went, I started in synthetics and then I went to organics. And so I'd never noticed that happen in synthetics, but I've noticed it happen in organics, which means that if I get a clone from Sequence, for example, he gave me uh, Crescendo and um, it fucking took 
a long time in veg to get to where I thought it was, you know, looking good and healthy, like what I, what I wanted to look like to go into flower. And it, it would just struggle a little bit until it finally kicked in. All of a sudden it just kicked in and it was good. But I think there's that, it takes a while for that plant to adjust on the way it's feeding, the way it's getting fed. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's not completely different. They're still taking up ions, but they, um, it's a different, the plant is more lazy in a synthetic way because it doesn't have to release exudates. It doesn't have to release any exudates. It gets to hold on to all those sugars. So um, it might take a while for it to relearn, oh shit, I'm starving here. This, you know, free food every single day. It's not coming. I need to entice some microbes my way so I can eat. So that's my understanding of it. And um, now by, you know, once I got it in the flower and it took off, it looks great. It's actually getting ready to be chopped today. I'll probably throw it in the, in the dry room if I can get the humidity down down here. Jesus. But yeah, I think it's totally, I think that, um, I really think like living soils are, are going to be ways to, you know, for the average, you know, personal home grower to try to revigorate their plants a little bit or try to, I don't know how, you know, how much hope I hold for it to be able to like, remove everything obviously if it got if it's got like hoplate and viroid i don't think that you're going to grow out of that but maybe who knows but um i think it's it's an option and you know the only other option we have to us is tissue culture which is difficult <laughs> it's that it's that uh the force or the intelligence that we talk about like i would totally agree that you should start if you're starting out seeds and that's going to be a consistent thing. You're going to be cloning it. You're going to be running it. You should probably start it in some sort of regenerative, like microbial active environment. So it has that intelligence right off rip. Because I've gone, I've done quite a bit of different type of growing over the years, especially with the OG. I've taken that one into synthetic, back into organics, synganics, all that stuff. And one of the things I've noticed, even to handing out clones to people, that even once say a regenerative clone goes to a synthetic environment it does it does just like normal it's fine just like all the other synthetic plants but you're right whenever i've taken in a synthetic clone they've always been slower a lot slower to get going than say like the cuts i got from you all of your cuts in the last proof of force build they lapped another tent and that tent's doing that again actually that tent's really really good i like that build um, but it's yeah, like, it, it, it's like taking any of us and dropping us off in the wilderness and saying, you know, I mean, we're all used to going to the fridge, turning the faucet on, we got water, right? Like it's, it's all right there for us. And it's a lot like that in the synthetic hydro world. They're literally supporting all its life there. So, you know, the plant doesn't necessarily have to form relationships with the, the bacteria, the microbes. And they've shown that in a lot of the, um, stuff I've heard before is that like if you're applying water soluble phosphorus for example the plant's less likely to form a relationship with mycorrhizae which it needs to have otherwise to enable it to even get phosphorus so like the, you know there's that period of time where the plant's kind of like stuck until it figures fuck I gotta hunt if I want to eat some meat you know what I mean so it's got to do that that its own thing I'm going to drop a Spartan secret for the uh, organic growers out there. My secret that I had, I don't think I've said anywhere yet 
And um, just like what you're saying with the phosphorus, you know, I've, I've heard the same exact thing. And uh, since I'm a microbe guy, I did another experiment. And for my bloom booster, which is just a top dress, I started using things as close to zero on the first two numbers and, and, and as high as I could on the last number. I wanted to hit it with potassium um, because I know, I, I find in my own empirical testing, organic inputs, if you hit them with the potassium for your bloom booster and don't worry about the other two, you get some big fucking buds, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I put that picture up, I showed, but you know, I, what I'm using right now is a, uh, man, if you don't mind, I'll walk over and grab it. But I can tell you, it's like a, it's equivalent to almost like a two, two, 10. And I just top dressed like a tablespoon of that. And it, um, like week, right when they go to flower. And then, uh, right at about week three of flower, three or four at the latest, I wouldn't go any past four because it takes so long to break down. And, uh, I've had great results. I don't like to put much nitrogen in there if any at all. And, uh, phosphorus i just been staying away from it because my thought process was i like to water in mammoth pea so why would i want to put in more phosphorus and unlock more phosphorus that's already there so that's how i kind of went after it and i've been doing it for the last four five cycles now and my my yields have been going up but i mean i also got the new light so there's other factors but i'm really really sold empirically that if you want to do anything in flower organically to boost bud size just throw some k in there man throw some throw some really really light maybe a little bit of light nitrogen light phosphorus but really pump that k that uh, i think a lot of people forget about you don't hear a lot of people even speaking on it and it's a macronutrient yeah a lot of people say oh i'm trying to push phosphorus and i've never really understood that because like a lot of what I've understood about phosphorus is that, yeah, you need to have a certain level there, but past that level, it's no benefit. And that's exactly where like in ag, you get a lot of runoff from that phosphorus. Yeah, exactly. And that's typically where the plants are lacking. And that's typically where you're going to have an abundance in your weight gain. I've even seen a, a white paper showing that, uh, that the actual end harvest weight was no higher during a phosphorus deficiency. So that would just kind of reinforced my, my strategy more. It's like, screw it then, why am I even messing with phosphorus? Well, you need a balance, I think is kind of the idea, but you know, an abundance and balance, yeah. Well, that's the thing, I'm using a, a bagged soil. I, I don't, I'm not reusing it right now. I, I might be soon, who knows how long this quarantine goes down, but um, I'm not reusing it, so it's a bag soil. So that's going to get. There's enough. I'm confident there's enough phosphorus in this pre-charged soil to get me through harvest. You know what I mean? I don't need to be adding more. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. At least I haven't had to. So I mean, I guess I'd be open to if I need to. <laughs> Usually, calcium is the one I would kind of watch with. Adding like a potassium source, trying to bear in mind that you want to be like a three to one and a calcium as well so you would be you say you would be careful with calcium no i would be mindful of it so like if you're dousing with potassium you want to kind of have enough calcium there to support what you're trying to accomplish with the potassium so it's like a it's like a relationship that you want to kind of bring in mind like a three to one type of deal of the potassium to that calcium and there's a 
ratio for nitrogen as well. There's a whole chart that's like shows the antagonists of different uh, minerals with each other, and uh, so yeah, I can't. I think it's called Molders Molders chart, I believe. You guys can Google that. That's if you want to go down a rabbit hole. That's a, that's a good chart to look at right there. Well, it's cool. I mean, it's not necessarily a rabbit hole, but it's something to kind of bear in mind because, like, I mean, I'll I'll pick on it a lot, which is the uh, lingonite, which I believe is like twenty two percent. Like water soluble potassium, I know it has its sulfomag or whatever, so there's other parts to it. But you know, like I've just I've seen the results of people adding too much of that into like like a reamend of a soil, and thinking you know that that potassium is going to be there when they need it, and they roach the fuck out of their plants because you know they don't need it to, uh, all that water soluble potassium right now. Water soluble means available right now and it doesn't have to be processed so like you know as a beginner reading some of those things it's kind of important definitely to look at like what is the water soluble fraction of that and, and bear in mind like what's going to be used so like your bat guanos I mean, there's a high water soluble nitrogen there. it's pretty freaking hot so you want to be careful you know yeah. It's interesting you guys bring up the calcium and the potassium because that's I talked about how I felt I was just missing a little bit of gas and uh, well I knew I was missing a little bit of gas it was a, a minimalist build that I've been running but since uh, adding that biofish which is pretty much focused on calcium potassium it's a 277 I think it is uh, it my rooms are just like killing it right now I, I i'm absolutely loving it it's it's a perfect combination now that's cool is there a, a bunch of bi biology in that too do they have mycorrhizae counts and stuff see a few counts on the back of that box i don't think the biofish has any kind of inoculation other than what would naturally be there from those that's what i was kind of mad about i was like why is it called biofish then it should just be like you know what i mean like Cause like by they kind of fool you with the bio live and that's got the biology yeah. and then uh i was hoping the bio fish did i bought it without even looking and then i was like oh man like nothing in there but, they, i think they're counting the fish as biology <laughs> yeah that's what i was to say because of what's in there but, yeah. i'm sure if there's ocean products in it there's gotta i don't know maybe there's some biology but it wouldn't be a whole great deal no, maybe. I, i'm I'm just teasing it, but there is biology in there. It's just not labeled like that, and that's what I was kind of getting at. It's not like they yeah. have. I'd really like to play with C90. I know um, I say that a lot, but that's just they just take seawater and dehydrate it, take the water out, and then whatever's left goes in the box. And I guess it's just so badass. Uh, Brandon Rust even said that he did ferment it. I remember Smiley, you'd asked about if you could ferment it. He said he does ferment it with his Bokashi. He actually mixes it in with his Bokashi, I think he said. And that's yeah. how it starts to build his Bokashi. So, uh, yeah, for a micronutrient, C90 is supposed to be just badass. I believe you 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 need fish calcium to get that last little bit out of uh, flavor and color and strains. It's just what I've, I've found from taking stuff out because I've really tried hard not to have fish in my garden. And it's just <laughs> not. You, you want to have it in there. Like the fish calcium, because it comes from like a, cal a cartilage, it just it has a different it has a different effect on the plant I find. And there, you, and there might be crab is there crab meal in there too or, or crustacean meal or anything like that to get some chitin in there too. I have to check on that. I know there's seaweed, there's uh, or, there's kelp, there's uh, 
alfalfa, and then there's fish calcium and fish hydrolysis, probably something like that in there. I have to double check. You know, I use uh, that Alaskan fish fertilizer. Uh, it's so terrible smelling, but I use just a little tiny bit. I just, I just actually pour a little bit into a five gallon bucket and I use it for a pH down <laughs> in veg. <laughs> That's, right. That's good to hear that stuff still around. Cause that was the very first fish product I ever bought. Man, I got this on super bucks sale. a bottle, man. And you got a ton to use. It's like, you can make yeah. a pot from $8, but it is cool that you mentioned that as a pH down cause there's acid in there it's like 4.5 or something out of there so. yeah it's really low so i'm just like fuck yeah this is my ph down <laughs> that's pretty cool and like there's a frugal too I mean, you get a little bit of food and you get a ph down out of that that's that's cheaper than ph down eight bucks now you're gonna hurt everybody's feelings they're gonna want to check ph and shit <laughs> hey i'm an organic grower but i still ph my stuff because i used to not and now i do and i get better results so i'm going to continue to do it yeah i think i think if you have if you're able to ph it before it goes in it makes your microbes and everything just work less so you're going to get a little more performance it just seems logical to me yeah they don't have to work as hard to adjust that ph you know they have those uh i just learned this on the dgc who was at uh colin bell i believe was talking to scotty and he was saying how that the uh, cell walls of these uh microbes have uh I believe he called them proton pumps and they can actually pump hydrogen ions in and out of the cell walls and therefore adjusting the pH because pH is what? Potential for hydrogen. So that's fucking insane. And then there was something else. Uh, they breathe, they breathe out or they release CO2 just like we do. And um, when you mix water with CO2, you get carbonic acid, which is a pH down. So they can, they can affect pH in, in both directions that way. But still, if you don't have to make, I mean, if you put it in water that's at the exact pH that they like, then they don't have to adjust it. So the moral of the story, boys and girls, is you definitely want to look into some microbes before you get started up because you'll want to use them right at the beginning. I was just wondering where that started at. Oh, yeah, beginner growth. <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, this we can't label this beginner. It's a bit more pre-game. I mean, there's beginner stuff in there, but... If Here we you go. Consider all this stuff in the beginning. You'll call this begin agro. Begin agro. Agro. <laughs> but uh, another thing I wanted to kind of get into was like picking pot sizes to accommodate your room because you can that that screws with your timing because say in uh, my builds where it's basically a bunch of mini beds in there you can't. I can't. I could move them, but it wouldn't be easy. So, it's a stationary area, and I have to wait for those spots to open up. So, basically, to keep up with a monthly rotation, I'm stuck having a ton of tents because you can't just have the three and say, "Oh, you're always guaranteed to flip that one tent." Sometimes stuff slows down. So, I would say to think about that because you might want a bunch of uh say threes or fives that way you can easily rotate them in between tents and fill spots and whatnot unlike me where my plants are basically stationed in there and if that tent's not working out i just got to deal with it and go to another tent or train different or whatever i just want to say one thing though um as far as like solo cups it's been my experience they do 
extremely way better as far as plant structure and beginning to set up a good plant to go into flower if you put them in a smart pot or like an easy swap pot, one that's breathable because I don't know, it just seems to form a better root ball and it seems to form a better structured plant in my opinion. So it's just a little tip that I would give. So, I mean, I get it. There's times I, I still put them in solar cups too, but I mean, for something that I want to really prep for a flower room, I would have it in some form of a, of a breathable pot like that. So you can get root pruning and, and the effects of that. So. People can go look the hashtag up right now. Like, look at my look at my plants, you guys. I'm two weeks ahead of everybody. And the people that there's people that started theirs in the swap pots, and their plants look a lot better than mine. They're bigger too. Like the bush, everything. They're gonna have a way better setup than me than sticking in that solo cup. So I, I firmly yeah. believe that. And I would others also say on the tip for pot size, a number three can grow a pretty good sized damn plant. So. I mean, I don't know if you're if you're looking at trying to balance which ones are in veg, you can you can start them pretty early in a number three, and you can kind of get them pretty good size in a number three. I mean, I've had two foot pretty good size bushes in a number three. So. Yeah, the frugal build works well with the the threes. You just approach it a little different. You wouldn't train. You wouldn't top the hell out of those plants and let them get real bushy. You would pretty much just run colas and run a bunch of them together and you can wick it in a wicking bed in threes and they do really well they'll grow really tall plants and the other thing i like about that is staying below a three is it makes it easier for the final transplant when you go into the flat whatever pot it's going to be in for flower because the number three is pretty easy to handle yet seems like i don't know fives and sevens you can get pretty damn big they're they're a little bit more to muscle around so my biggest um, takeaway or advice on this is to um, fill your space. Fill your space with so I'm talking soil. I'm not talking plants. So if you're filling a four by four, fill a four by four. Don't put four or five gallon pots in a four by four. I see it all the time on Instagram. You can, I mean, you can do that if you're in a cocoa setting, but I'm talking soil here. And with soil, you got to remember the soil is like the stomach. That's what, that's the buffet that your plant is going to eat off of. And if you're going to subject it to a small five-gallon pot, put, you know, nine five-gallon pots in there. Fill your space. And it's going to make it a hell of a lot easier for you to get a bigger yield if you have more plants in there. If you can, you know, obviously you got to follow local laws, whatever your plant count is. But uh, like for me, for example, I use four, I have nine, I think they're five or they might be seven-gallon uh, fabric pots in my auto pot system and then my other two lights and flower in planters and they're I put four planters in there but they fill up that four by four and those planters each have over they're like 1.5 cubic feet of, of soil in each one they're sip containers um, they're on wheels and they can move and stuff but I still I I mean if I took the, the soil out of the planters and dumped them in that four by four space it would fill that four by four there might be a little bit of you know this much space but if you could, you know, I really believe when it comes to soil growing, the more soil you have, the bigger yields and the better off you're going to be and the more forgiving it is. It's just so many pluses. So I, I totally agree. There's pluses of having them partner together too. The shared root zone is... Yeah. If you have fabric pots and you're doing like a sub-irrigating like what Abolished is and you put the pots right next to each other, those roots will grow right through and they'll share the they'll share it like it's one big bed. Yeah. 
there's a world of difference between my 10 gallons, my old ones, and the new Frugal Force builds that are 15 plus with the wicking beds. Like those plants perform a lot better. They have a lot more cushion room. Like it, the more the more you have it, you're right. It, it is better for this type of growing. Now, I mean, obviously that's the caveat that for a soil grow. Now, if you're gonna do cocoa, Dude, don't go much higher than a three-gallon your final pot at a home grow, I would say. Unless you just want to grow some monster giant trees and you have lots of headroom, I don't see any real reason to go much over a three-gallon pot. Maybe five at the absolute biggest. But, I mean, you, you can grow some monsters in five-gallon pots because you're giving it all its nutrition. You're just holding the root mass. You don't, you don't need to give it nutrition, so it doesn't need to be very big. It can be a small – I mean, it could be a three-gallon – you could have a three-gallon pot and you could easily pull pounds off of that plant. You just got to water it a ton. Yeah, water it three, four times a day. And that's where it's a little different. Like you say, like, so like in a hydro situation, you know, pot sizing in a lot of ways, a lot of times I've heard it discussed almost as like trying to size it for the plant and how often you want to water it, you know, so a smaller plant or a smaller pot with a bigger plant, you're watering more often than a bigger pot with a smaller plant situation. But in a soil, you brought up a valid great valid point that it's way different than that to where you know that soil is the battery so to speak for those plants it's the energy source they get to draw from so yeah and if you're planting a room I mean the bigger source of energy you can give those plants to expand into the better if you're capable to um, I think a bed is absolutely the best way of the shared root zone and it's it, and it's not how I do it, but I'm not able to, but you know what I mean? Everybody's setup is different. If, if I had a dream to do a, a different setup, I would definitely have some form of a ability to transplant shared root zone, one large bed with multiple plants under a canopy of light. You know? It's an important thing to consider in the pregame. I mean, you, you're going to, if you don't have a lot of skill, you haven't done this a lot, the more soil you have in those regenerative or your organic builds, the more leeway you're going to have. So if you want to go to the one to three gallon route, you got to remember that you're going to need to be able to pay a little more attention. You're going to need to understand how to feed a plant. Like it's, you don't really have much of a, a chance of just setting in and forgetting it. Like if you had it. And we're back. Uh, gone over quite a few things tonight, but one of the most important things is actually uh, sourcing your genetics and figuring out how to do that correctly because you really can burn yourself uh, either by buying hype seeds, not really understanding uh, how breeding works or just getting bad clones from uh, your local dispensary. Uh, that bit burnt. I got burnt a couple times on that one in the beginning, but that's how, that's the only way I could get a hold of, you know, some of these, you know, dank stuff or these dank cuts. Do we still have dispensaries that sell clones? I haven't heard of that for a while now, but I haven't really yeah. looked either. It's, I imagine there might be one or two out there, but I haven't seen it in probably at least five years. Not since like most of them got shut down out there in Canada. Yeah, I always thought it was funny to see see a, a provisioning center or whatever you want to call it 
selling clones because it's like you're cutting your own throat a little bit there, aren't you? <laughs> but they're the only ones allowed to sell it, I think. Uh, I think caregivers can sell to facilities, but I don't think that there's anything in there that allows you to sell to like a person, but maybe, I'm not sure. There, there's got to be that or they're doing it, you know, in the gray area, but I've seen, uh, I think it's 313 clones or Detroit clones or something like that on Instagram. They're, they're a nursery. Yeah, there's like eight uh, genotype A or something like that too is another Now, are those? Do you guys know of any cloning? Like, are, are those ones that you just named? Are they trustworthy ones? For is that something somebody in Michigan could go to confidently and say, okay, these are probably good genetics here? Or do you guys know anything? I don't. I don't know anybody I, uh, as far I, as you know friends that I would trust with. Uh, I've never used them. I I have bought from uh, State Genetics. I believe is the one. It was at one of the sessions, but. I know they're one of the few that like actually test on theirs too to make sure they're pesticide free and certain things. So like as, as far as a beginner grower, you know, the understanding that a mother plant sprayed with a systemic pesticide is going to have that carried into its clone and carried into what you're going to smoke in the end too is, is something that, it, you know, not talked about necessarily. A lot of people talk about bugs and infestations and problems like that, but you know, there's a lot of unseen stuff you want to really know who you're getting those clones from because of the fact that you know if they at some point in its grandparentage or however you say that it got sprayed with a systemic pesticide those can live out in multiple generations so that's a really good point because i've heard things of california um people out there getting coming up hot on testing they never even use that product and then come to find out they go back generations and where they source their clone, they did use, you know, a banned yeah. pesticide. So that's insane that, you know, you could be four or five generations and still have traces of it show up on tests. And that's where it's important though, because like the average person doing it in their basement ain't gonna know that stuff, you know? So, I mean, those might be good questions to ask as far as sourcing a clone. It's yeah, I think that's really a case for seeds too. I mean, there's just, I don't know because there's a trade-off. The clones are, you know, if you have a rooted clone, it's going to take off and you're going to get so much better production quicker on a clone than if you got a seed, you still got to start, you know, you're starting from the very, very beginning and you're going to be a little bit slower from the gate. But with the seed, you're just more of a guarantee, like you're not having pathogens and diseases and anything built up into a clone that can happen with a clone, viroids, uh, you know, systemic things like, like what you said, pesticides. Um, you don't have to worry about any of that with a seed usually and um thing you have to worry about is you know then who's the trustworthy seed breeder you know and yeah. i think that the cannabis industry is pretty good at calling out people that are terrible so if you uh just do a little bit of research the same names will probably come up once you decide what kind of a strain that you're looking for um there's people that kind of specialize in different avenues so you know for example like if someone asked me hey do you know anybody that's got a good skunk i'd be like duke diamond dominion seed company he's working with skunk he's been for a while you know and you got all those you know all those things that people can just kick out there if you just do a little bit of kicking or uh, looking around on the internet you'll find you know once you find your strain find out who the original breeder was don't find somebody else's version of it find the original breeder you know and that's the one that you're most likely going to like so track down that breeder and find somebody you can uh, at least uh you know, see other people have ran their stuff and um, 
that kind of is like here this is what i did so obviously this isn't garbage look look what this is and if you search hashtags on instagram you can you can see countless examples sometimes of especially older strains yeah, it always blew my mind going our being at events and seeing people walking out with literally their whole row worth of clones i was like you guys never had bugs before <laughs> Especially you're going at an event where, you know, probably most people are growers. <laughs> yeah. So if they have bugs, they might be crawling on their hands and, and whatever else. And then, you know, how many people have looked through those clones and touched every one of those clones before it got to your hands? Yeah, that's, that does make me creep out a little bit. Yep. I think I would. Uh, I mean, you got you got clone from Med before. <laughs> like, I would trust getting a clone from somebody like that because... I mean, he's out in the public constantly. He's not going to hand you anything that's going to make him look bad. You know, it'll be a clean clone. But some, uh, you know, company that's barely on IG that you've never heard of before, you might be taking a risk taking in that clone because they can just dip on you. I think a, a pretty easy way, too, as far as, like, sorting out uh, genetics in a seed line. So, um in a lot of cases, there's, you know, those clone only or breeder cut, or I've heard of it referred to different ways. But so, so something really sexy comes along, and and in order nobody has anything of it. But so that'll get passed around, and it'll be hit with different breeders' males. So like, if you're kind of the point what I'm getting at is what if you're looking for is like the differences in where did that male come from. So even as far as like fem or back frost and all that stuff, it really depends on where that pollen was coming from for that plant. So just to read like, uh, uh, you know, GG4 or wedding cake, for example, you know, it, it kind of is important which one the pollen came from versus which one received pollen too. So uh, that was just one thing like, I want to get a wedding cake. Well, I know that wedding cake Cut, got crossed the crop you know it's a breed there's a breeder cut that a bunch of the reputable growers have so i have a few different breeders crosses of a wedding cake and i'm flowering those out to try to find the one i want to keep you know what i'm saying versus and that's funny you say that's one of my least favorite strains <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can't we grow it at work and i can't fucking be in the room man i have to take tons of allergy medication and stuff just to keep it under control really yeah. That terpene just fucked you up, huh? It just fucks me up. And it could be because it's in a room of hundreds of plants and it's just super concentrated. But yeah, it's, I hate wedding cake. It's, uh, it's super frosty and dense and it definitely has a really nice sweet flavor to it. Anytime I've smoked it, it's been really enjoyable. So I was kind of excited to check it out man i don't know let's see what kind of comes out of the different crosses anything i've seen online too that's crossed with it is frosty as fuck so it's yeah my understanding was that i can't remember this actual strain that it is it's not even wedding cake wedding cake isn't the actual strain wedding cake was a pheno of another strain but the jungle boys called it wedding cake and i can't fucking remember what it was now but i'm sure jack greenstock will be dming me of that later but <laughs> when he sees us or hopefully he'll put it at a comment on the bottom so everybody can read hear the the lineage of it but i know it's another strain for sure have you guys had the vanilla like frosting phenol of the wedding cake i've had that a few times at uh herbal solutions it's freaking delicious 
I think that's the one because it does smell kind of like a. Well, the, to me, it smells kind of like a, a batter or something. I don't even. Yeah. Exactly yeah. Smell. Can you smoke it then, Spartan, or does, does it fuck you up to even smoke it? I I haven't tried to honestly. It's like it's I, I, I'm repulsed that much, and I have enough of other stuff that I do like that I don't, I don't even have a. It's like I don't know. I have a, a vendetta against it or something. It's like if it attacks me like that, fuck that plant. That's you know? crazy, man. It's funny how that is though, because like, I mean, I I'm the same way with like a tangy flavor, and I know that everybody loves that, like Tropicana cookies or whatever. But it's like. Anytime I've had it, yeah, it's loud as fuck and tangy. And to me, that's like the absolute grossest thing I could think of to smoke. I don't know why, but it just, anytime I've had it, it's like a, uh, you know, like I don't even, so there must be something about that terpene too that, but, you know, messes with my system somewhere. Yeah, your, your microbiome's not liking that fucking terpene, bro. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make it bad for other people, but, you know, I mean, I can understand other people love it, but. Right, right. Oh, you hand me spicy weed, I might try to fight you. I, I don't like it. And that's the thing is when Abolish hand me that, uh, what was it you handed me? It was real, like, peppery almost. Like, like, uh, like it a was, uh, wasn't it? It was the the wizard's apprentice, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It almost made, like, like when you eat a hot sauce and your tongue kind of tingles, that's kind of like what I got from it. And I actually yeah. was kind of intrigued by it. I th I it didn't put me off, but uh, I was like, wow, that's pretty fucking cool just because it was a new experience for me you know smoking weed and getting like that hot sensation yeah that's what i messaged uh night owl when i finished it like i was like this isn't my cup of tea but i can see why you kept it because that is such a unique effect i've never had a like a what is it the capsaicin feeling on my uh my tongue from a cannabis strain right well, yeah. the last time i met um eagle was at uh one of the sessions at vehicle city social and he had that insane in the membrane and he's like it, yeah dude he hit it and it was kind of a such a different flavor you're just almost like i don't know what to think and then he says tacos and you're like holy shit it freaking is man it's like it's weird but yeah it's like that like spicy salsa i don't know i can't wait to try that stuff and uh uh abolished i have some headlights saved for you i don't know how long it's going to be before we can really you know meet up again but whenever this shit's over i'll have some headlights and then i'm just keeping some set aside and then uh if i harvest another one i'll get rid of the old and, and replace it with new but i'll have some set aside for you i specifically uh um gave uh man my brain fart here oh sequence and sequence came out and i i handed them a bag because uh, they had said that you had mentioned you'd wanted to try it <laughs> and then you never got to try this stuff sorry but i got some set aside for you bro I know that that like ruined my week, but uh, I still have your uh, some rosin from all your cuts set aside for you. Nice background. For you. Oh, sweet! It's here. It's just aging yeah. here. But I ain't gonna go out to you know, you know. Yeah. What, what do I want to call it? United States version of China right now. No, I'm not going out to that county. Yeah, you don't. It'll it'll be here, whenever this calms down. <laughs> That was a trip that Lincoln chat with all the county by county numbers, but the part that didn't make sense to me, Spartan, is you're saying uh, uh, Jackson was like already pushing people away, but that number was like 17 or 16 or something. 16. 16 cases in Jackson, but uh, they don't count the patients that were tested at other places, see? So they count where they were tested at. They're overloaded in Southfield. They're over like the, the hospitals don't That's have so they, say, over like here. Hot pots, but then, yeah, like what you were saying didn't make sense of that. I was like, well, 
I have a little bit of insider information. It's not like they're releasing a lot of this stuff, but uh, I know people that work at the hospital. So, you know, when they started bringing people from Southfield to Jackson, we were, we only had 40 ventilators at that point and Southfield was out of ventilators. So I don't know where we're at now, but, but like I, 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 Oh, I said it yesterday on the GML show, but my wife got a message, I guess, from the hospital that said that, you know, basically it was a message that said, you know, please don't come to the hospital. I was like, what? Well, yeah, as far as those numbers say, it says we have 16 cases from people here in Jackson. And actually, there was a, a health letter sent out from the, I think it's from the city of Jackson, saying there's two events that people that have tested positive for were at. One was at a, a district basketball playoff game, and the other one was, I don't recall, but it wasn't events that anybody I know go to, so... It's, that's the crazy part is you never know yet for two weeks. So. Yeah, yeah. No, and I don't, I don't mean to be bumming on the topic because I know it's, but it's shit, dude. It's, it's a pandemic. Oh, serious. Everybody, it's nothing like it that's affected everybody. Well, and that's the thing. I, the reason I shared that link in chat was that it uh, broke down. Also, if you scroll down past the counties, it breaks down by age. It breaks down male and female. It looks like it's about 50, 50%, but age groups, everybody's saying it's only affecting the elderly. Yes, there's higher percentages at the elderly levels, but there's percentages all the way down to the 18-year-old group. So, I mean, people are still getting it being young. Yeah, yeah I mean, guys, uh, there's no say. I've been out for the last couple of weeks, and I didn't get tested for it because I wanted to do the responsible thing. I got sick, and it was before they were saying that young people wouldn't die from it. And I've been out for the last couple of weeks, with all the symptoms, I just locked myself down, and I'm fine now. I'm back at 100%, but it, it, it wasn't fun. You don't want to catch whatever's out there. Even if this if this is like some kind of super influenza, like you don't want this right now with what's going on. Just just chill out. Yeah, even if it's something different, they can't do nothing because everybody's overloaded. So Yeah. The problem is we don't really know what's going on. It's affecting people differently. You know, I heard the story of a, a girl that got it. She was younger. She got through it, but then she lost her sense of taste and smell. So, yeah, she's not going to show up as a statistic as a death, but she's not cool with it. You know what I'm saying? So it's not something to, you know, I'm not saying to panic. Obviously, that's not the answer either, but don't take it lightly either. Well, the reality of this is it breaks down any difference we all have and comes to the root of that we're all human and it affects human beings. So everybody needs to play a role in being smart about how we go about advancing, you know? So. 100% agree. And, and take the full two weeks or whatever because I thought I was feeling a little bit better and I went on and I did the late sesh with everybody last week. And immediately after that, I was in the bed with a fever. I had to, it's just done. I, I couldn't do it anymore. Like I, just by overexerting myself, I feel like I brought it back on. Like you, you need to chill out, relax, stay safe. You guys don't want this. Yeah, and I hate to, I don't think it's a rumor. I, I could probably pull it on my phone again, but uh, there was a report that I read this morning that supposedly there's people in China that the way that they're doing it in, uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. It's like Wu Hang or something. They're getting ready to open everything back up. But before you can go back to work, you have to go back through and get another physical and get tested and make sure that you are negative before you go back to work. Great idea. 
the thing they're finding, they've got four individuals right now that had tested positive, you know, was treated, got tested negative, but now that they were going to try to go back to work, they tested positive again. So now they don't know if they could like mutate and get it again or something, or I don't know. I don't know the uh, gist of it, but that was a little concerning too. That's my worry too is mutations because just logically, I feel like it's it's been here before our price started freaking out and there's been different versions of it. That's just my personal belief on it. Call me crazy. But I think there was, I was reading something where there, there was relations to the other, I mean, like H1N1 and H2N2 and, and this is the, you know, the new one, but they're all like very similar. Like even it's in the same, I think, kind of uh, relations with like even HIV because was it Italy? Someplace they're using HIV in malaria, I think it was medications, like a combo of it to, to help with treating, I guess. But uh, so they're kind of like the same viral family or something, I'm assuming. So yeah, maybe it's just a mutation that's making each one different, like SARS was another example of it, or the bird flu. I definitely think there's a balance somewhere in nature for it though. You know, it seems like any other time something you know really breaks out one way or the other there's eventually a balance that comes to it yeah i don't think there's much i am always been one of those people that i I try not to i don't try not to worry about things that i have no control over all i can do is control what i can so in this situation i'm just going to try to follow what they say to do and hope for the best i can't worry about anything else if it happens it happens if i get it i get it but uh i'm just gonna smoke lots of weed until then and then maybe probably after then too anyway so like it <laughs> just be smart and you know what i mean like you say i don't want people to live in fear either i'm, I'm definitely not an advocate for that I'm not trying to sit and live in fear myself so but there's some things to be smart about definitely yeah exactly i the only place i've gone was to, to working back and that's the only place oh no that's not true i had to get gas one time and that was an experience but i'm not gonna get into that <laughs> Yeah, just don't be asshole, guys. I mean, even if you were an asshole in the beginning and you played this off as a joke and now you see that it's serious, you know, stop. You know, let's just be smart about this. If we stay home, we can beat this fucking thing. Yeah, who's it? I've seen a uh, highlight some asshole lady went coughing on a bunch of grocery meat because at the store because she knew she had it. It's like, holy shit, dude, that should be like some kind of an arrest there or whatever i don't know if she did get arrested or not but holy shit man like it's just like the opposite of what, what the thing we, yeah the thing is it just what i hear did not know you know that's one thing but to know and go do it intentionally is pretty freaking shitty yeah and, and i 100 percent agree and but at the same time, when I hear crazy stories like that, I try to think, like, I try to be, like, in that headspace. What the hell would you be thinking like that? And I can't figure that out. I don't understand why. Well, what's the point of even doing that? I don't – I can't figure people out, man. They're a little disappointing sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's really sad the, the amount of people that I've literally blocked or unfollowed from the cannabis community this last couple of weeks. I mean – if I see you out partying every night or having people over, different people over every night, I don't consider you isolating or helping the problem. So I've just been, like, I'm just, I'm just been unfollowing you. I'm sorry, guys. I don't want to see that. I don't want to, I don't want it to affect my mentality. Well, and I hope people don't take that personally either, too, because, like, for example, myself, 
years ago, I completely deleted my Facebook. And it's not because I hate everybody on Facebook. It's just like, I hate everybody wanting to argue on Facebook. And that's not the kind of stuff I need in my life. You know, I don't need negativity. I, I'm trying to be a positive person. And I don't want to, you know, it's not that I'm hating on any of those people. If I see them, you know, I run into them, I treat them just the same. It's just like, I don't have to participate in that though. So by me not participating in, in, in that, I hope they don't like take offense. Like, you know, what you're saying, or like you said, if somebody that you, you know, follow or don't follow anymore and they somehow get offended by it, what that's, they shouldn't take it personally. It's something that they're removing, you know, what Abolish is doing or what I am doing in those cases, I'm removing myself from the situation before it becomes a fight before it becomes ugly. We can still be friends, but just let me be, do my thing over here. And you can be, you can do your thing over there. I'm not going to be part of that. So I hope people kind of see it that way. Yeah, that's a big one right there. I, if anybody that watches this that grew up with me, I got rid of my Facebook also. It's not because I hate you. I don't want to stay in touch and see everything you ate for dinner for the last week. <laughs> it's just that I, there's just too much bullshit out there. And I believe just because I come from a, I'm in a weird era. Like I, I know what life was like before social media and I know what life is with it. And I just feel that it's become bad for you, especially with Facebook. Like there's just a lot of stuff out there that's meant to influence your thinking and just make you have a bad day. And I'm just, I don't think it's good for you. Well, majority of communication happens through tone of voice and body, um, your body movements or whatever. So less of it even happens uh, the lowest amount happens with what words you say so when you're sitting there in a chat or a text or whatever it's like such an easy thing to misunderstand any what anybody that's a really good point i never thought about that but you're right i mean it's so hard 10 percent of what they were really trying to get across to you yeah people are probably getting mad and upset over things that weren't even meant they just took it the wrong way because well, okay, I think this was DGC too. I'm trying to access the memory banks here. Uh, Scotty was talking about listening to uh, a negotiator is a book and talking about negotiating and successful negotiating. But anyhow, um, they said that just what you were saying, Smiley, I think they said 30% of a conversation or a speech or is spoken word. Everything else, all the other information is like facial expressions, body language, tone of voice, everything you were just saying. So that's interesting you say that. So, you know what? And then another thing, I, I believe Rogan, I think it was a Rogan podcast. He was talking about how Facebook specifically will put things into your feed by what you, you know, going off of what you like and what you comment on, specifically put things into your feed that they know will piss you off because people, when they get upset and mad are more apt to engage than any other emotion. So they're, purposely trying to make you mad so it kind of illustrates what abolished was saying that you know it's purposely trying to make you have a bad day to try to get you into engage so that they can say hey i've got so much engagement on this page so they can sell advertising 100 percent, like what he's saying he's influencing your mind so that they can profit off of it you know that's one of the big reasons i i know i still use instagram which is owned by facebook but instagram's a lot less and i try to limit my time if i can well we're kind of Instagram, I feel like it's a different beast for us because it's it's basically our resume in this industry. I, everybody judges you off your Instagram. It, 
you can do all kinds of stuff on YouTube. No, they go to your Instagram when you're doing stuff or looking you up. But so even speaking on YouTube, they do the same thing, like with their algorithm. Uh, I, I watch our analytics. And since we have a consistent uh, shout out to you, thumbs down guy, uh, since he's on every single episode, it really does boost us like in the algorithm. Like when we go live, we get a lot more people now that are that are new whatever to our little sector it's pretty so do you cool. want me to stop doing the thumbs down then or? <laughs> <laughs> as long as we have one or two that's all we <laughs> i bet he's kicking himself right now <laughs> i hope so <laughs> that's funny that is funny too because someone's like what is there to even thumbs down about <laughs> I don't think they realize that it counts the same as far as analytics go. It's still engagement, whether it's up or down, it's still engagement. So, you know, thumbs down is doing nothing but helping the people. You're not, you're not hurting our feelings any. Keep thumbs down, whatever it is. That's why I always say in chat, give me thumbs love. I don't care if it's up, down, don't care. <laughs> give me one. Some guy come in there that can't grow a beard and he's just getting jealous. There's too much beard on this panel. <laughs> Uh, sounds like jealousy is all it sounds like to me when you know you know man i don't like to just grow plants i like to grow beards too man yeah, yeah don't mind the beard guy that just comes with the organics like the further you get deeper into the forest the more your beard grows this is kind of part of the sauna it's funny it's either that or you gotta have dreadlocks have to have dreadlocks or a beard or both you have both then you're like jedi master if I can get this a little bit longer, I might have to start braiding it just to keep it out of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'd like your beard, and then you're like right there, man, all in one. <laughs> we got to get some. I was thinking the same thing. We got to get some badass metal worker out there to actually make this like some gauntlets to go into the beard. It'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was. We went a little off topic at the end, but that's all right because that's what we do. But uh, lost in the <laughs> since we're getting down to the end here, we might as well uh, do some sign-offs and shout-outs. As we've been, we haven't done them the last couple of weeks. We've been cutting it down to the wire for this damn timer. So, uh, Smiley, you got anybody you'd like to shout out? Oh man, I always go out blank on these two. And there was something I was thinking earlier. Um, you know, I'd give a shout out to the regenerative cannabis um, conference. If those guys had to cancel. They would have been here this weekend. Uh, I would have been out there this weekend. I definitely miss miss doing that. So those these guys. And, uh, so I, mean, I don't know if you guys are liking or following them, but they definitely posted some pretty killer videos. I know they're pretty long, but um, but that's the way that it, the conference is. So it's pretty cool that they share kind of an inside view to what that, that meeting is about. So um, shout out to them guys because they definitely bring the love from the West Coast out to Michigan. So. We definitely should reach out and see if we can get somebody from there to come on here and talk with the group of force. Yeah. Like, definitely like Dragonfly Earth Medicine. Like, I'd love to have them on here. Just a wealth of knowledge. And they're just as cool in person. Like if you go to those ones conferences, you get, you get time, you get FaceTime with them. I mean, you can go up and talk to them and uh, they're just as cool. It's not like it's an act. It's they're hundred percent like that all the time.
Yeah, dude, Kevin Jodry blew me away at the last conference. Like, he absolutely was not behind the scenes whatsoever. The dude just, while other people were speaking, he was hanging out in the smoke room. Just, I mean, they, the dude never stopped talking with people, and he never really, I mean, outside of going to his hotel or whatever, but, I mean, you know, the whole time he was there, he was totally accessible to anybody that wanted to shoot the breeze. You know? it was, I mean, not everybody was like that. It was freaking cool as hell. Sparring ground, not you. Well, I want to shout out to my uh, my bros out there at Mitten Canico. You can look for us. We got our own packaging now. It's fancy, different colors. Here's a blue one, but we got white, different ones. So, uh, getting our name out there now. So instead of just uh, the provisioning centers using their packaging, we have our own. So that's pretty cool. We're excited about that. And then um, I'm going to shout out to my favorite author of all time, J.R.R. Tolkien. And I'm going to quote something from him because I think it's completely relevant to our conversations every time. You know, although I can't even say it, all those that wander are not lost. So let our conversations wander all the time, guys, because it's always a fun journey. Well said. I definitely got a shout out the Michigan Bros Real Show, our whole the whole community there. Well, we wouldn't be nothing without you guys. Love you guys. And that's not just including Michigan. We keep we keep on saying that like we are. This is becoming an international thing. It's not even just the U.S. anymore. We got followers all over. So shout out to you, Groskies. Double shout out to the horse using Groskies out there. And I also like to shout out my uh, sponsors, Mantis Genetics, Fat Funny Nutrients. And easy swap pots, which I have some uh, some brand new easy swap pots on the way, because the other two tents they don't have the the need to be remodeled that are still in the ten gallons. They're getting converted this week, so I'm gonna I'm hoping to set up a camera and get you guys like an actual like visual build, not just uh, talking about the, the approval build. That should be pretty cool. So shout out to them. Use uh, code abolished. Get you ten percent off these swap pot needs. Also, your mantis genetic needs. Even though those guys, they're not shipping right now, because they're because the pandemic. But you know, keep them in mind for when this is all over. They could definitely use the help. And uh, yeah, and on that note, may the Google Force be with Push the goddamn button! You heard what she said.